read a passage from Isaiah. This is kind of um, the jewel in the crown of Isaiah, if you're familiar with Isaiah. And uh, over recent weeks, as we've been looking at um, Isaiah, we've gone through the servant songs. Um, You can pick out four servant songs in the chapters of Isaiah uh, from chapter 42 onwards. And the first servant song appears in chapter 42, and it talks about the servant bringing justice to the nations. And then the second servant song in chapter 49 talks about the servant being a light to the Gentiles, that salvation will come to the ends of the earth. The third servant song reveals the servant to be one that is brutalized, mocked, and despised, yet sets its face like flint. And so we come on to the fourth servant song. And um, in this servant song, there is a transformation. We have to remember that Isaiah the prophet lived 700 years before Jesus. And as Christians, we can become familiar with these passages and think, well, they're obviously about Jesus. 700 years before Jesus came. Traditionally, from the Talmud, the rabbinic texts, the source of Jewish religious law, it is believed traditionally that Isaiah the prophet was killed, sawn in two. We don't don't have any evidence of that in the scriptures or anything there is in Hebrews you remember that chapter in chapter 11 when he takes lists of the, the heroes of faith and he talks about the prophets and some were sawn in two we don't know for sure and so we come to Isaiah 52 to 53 and I'm going to do this over two messages so I want us to take it slowly although I'm going to read the whole of this fourth servant song And I want to read it in the message version because um, it just reads differently from perhaps what we're used to. Just watch my servant blossom, exalted, tall, head and shoulders above the crowd. But he didn't begin that way. At first, everyone was appalled. He didn't even look human, a ruined face disfigured beyond recognition. Nations all over the world will be in awe. There we go. It was on your screen, but not mine. Taken aback, kings shocked into silence when they see him. For what was unheard of, they'll see with their own eyes. What was unthinkable, they'll have right before them. Who believes what we've heard and seen? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over, a man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away, We looked down on him, thought he was scum. But the fact is, it was our pains he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. 
We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures. But it was our sins that did that to him. That ripped and tore and crushed him, our sins. He took the punishment and that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. We're all like sheep who have wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way. And God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong on him, on him. He was beaten, he was tortured, but he didn't say a word. Like a lamb taken to the slaughter and like a sheep being sheared, he took it all in silence. Justice miscarried and he was led off. And did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought for his own welfare, beaten bloody for the sins of my people. They buried him with the wicked, threw him in a grave with a rich man, even though he'd never hurt a soul or said one word that wasn't true. Still, this is what God had in mind all along, to crush him with pain. The plan was that he himself, as an offering for sin, so that he'd see life come from it. Life, life, and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. Out of that terrible travail of soul, he'll see that it's worth it and be glad he did it through what he experienced. My righteous one, my servant, will make many righteous ones as he himself carries the burden of their sins. Therefore, I'll reward him extravagantly the best of everything, the highest honors, because he looked death in the face and didn't flinch, because he embraced the company of the lowest. He took on his own shoulders the sin of the many. He took up the cause of all the black sheep. Let's pray together. Father God, as we read these scriptures, we are in awe of what they describe, of who they describe. And so as we just spend this time looking at this portion of your word, we pray that you give us humble hearts and help us to see more clearly our wonderful Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love the way Eugene Peterson just puts one of the lines, who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? These servant songs that Isaiah maybe sang or, or certainly wrote down describe the servant of God. But who is the servant of God? This fourth servant song is the most elaborate and poignant of them all. As I said earlier, it's kind of the jewel in the crown of Isaiah's theology, the focal point of his vision and his prophecy. Who is the servant? Is it a people or is it a person? When I had the privilege of being in, in Israel for a month, doing some studies on the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, we had the privilege of meeting rabbis and, and all sorts of people. And they were saying that this is not about Jesus. This is about Israel. And it was such an interesting discussion that we had. 
Because just as we read the scriptures together, how could they not see what we would see? But then if you refuse to see Jesus, you will not see it. And they talked about the suffering of the Jewish people and all of that that comes with it. The Christian interpretation is that, yes, this is about the true, perfect Israel, who is Jesus, the Messiah. The Messiah is the servant, the suffering servant. He's key to it all, key to salvation, history, everything. So why do we believe it's about Jesus? Is it just because the description so fits that we read Psalm 22 and and can't understand why any person who reads Psalm 22 cannot see Jesus in it? If you've not read Psalm 22 recently, go back and read it. It's the most amazing psalm. For me, I suppose the key thing in this is that Jesus himself refers to this passage in his teaching. In Luke 22, verse 37, he quotes, The servant was numbered among the transgressors, referring to this passage in Isaiah 53. And Jesus says this, This must be fulfilled in me. What is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. And as we know, Jesus, when he was crucified, was crucified between two criminals. But it's deeper than that. He was numbered among the transgressors. In Acts chapter 8, we read of Philip after the dispersion through persecution, running alongside the Ethiopian eunuch in his chariot. What's he reading? He's reading from Isaiah 53 and Philip says, you understand what that's about? And he says, no, I have no idea who it's about. Can you tell me who it's about? And he says, this is about Jesus. So we're going to just take it slowly. Part one is just the first part from chapter 52 that we read, verse 13 to 53, verse 3. So what does Messiah look like? You know when Jesus came and And people were expecting a Messiah, but he is not what they expected. You wonder, had they ever read Isaiah? When they were expecting a conquering king who would would deliver them from the Romans, and had they not read the prophecy? My servant will act wisely, it says. He will be raised up and lifted up and highly exalted. And we see Jesus in that. Jesus who left his throne in heaven, who was with the Father and the Spirit from the very beginning, the author of life, creator of all things, left his throne and became a human being, just like us. And then was exalted after his resurrection. Paul writes about this in Philippians chapter 2. We began the service with it. Therefore God exalted who? Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is above all kings, all rulers, all powers. 
And here in this passage, Isaiah prophesies that kings and rulers and powers will shut their mouths because of them. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess, and Jesus Christ will be revealed as he truly is, and everyone will see him and marvel at him. And we long for that day. But how does that exaltation come? This is the shocking thing of Isaiah's prophecy. It will come through suffering. It will come through pain. It will come through weakness. He will make himself nothing. The wisdom of God displayed in his servant will utterly confound human wisdom. It will be shocking. It will be appalling. Paul writes that Jesus is a stumbling block to Jews. And it appears foolishness to Gentiles. And if you talk to Muslims, they will say it's blasphemous. God can't be a human being. God can't die. So I don't know how you picture Jesus when you worship. Do you picture the exalted, risen Lord Jesus? Do you picture the Jesus on the cross? Do you ever wonder what he really looked like? I remember, I don't know where this place was. I've got this image in my mind of an old schoolroom, a church schoolroom with a beautiful portrait of Jesus with blonde hair and blue eyes looking out from this picture frame and thinking, who is that? Or if you've got the Robert Powell, Jesus of Nazareth, in, you know, lodged there somewhere with the piercing blue eyes and the wonderful looks, you know. Or more modern films like The Passion of the Christ, just the bleeding, battered, shredded body of Jesus. I remember in 2001, the BBC doing a reconstruction. They'd found a skull of a first century Galilean. I don't know if you remember that. You can Google it. And they reconstructed his face. They weren't saying this is what Jesus looked like, but they were saying this is what a first century Galilean looked like. And he was just ordinary. Just like you and me, ordinary. Or just me, ordinary. You're all beautiful. But you wouldn't have looked twice. I think sometimes we have in our mind that, you know, Jesus dashing like this sort of Bond figure around. You know, that everyone would have turned their heads and he just looked ordinary. And he came in weakness. God himself, creator of heaven and earth, came in weakness. One of the servant songs from chapter 49, the Messiah himself sings, My God is my strength. He comes in weakness. He comes in humility. He comes in obedience, even to death on a cross, says Paul. And yes, we know Jesus is fully God. And fully human at the same time. But he emptied himself. He ministered out of his humanity empowered by the Holy Spirit. He overcame the enemy 
as a human being empowered by the Holy Spirit. He went to the cross in his flesh and blood as a human being. He could have, he says in uh, Matthew 26, when he's arrested, he could call down more than 12 legions of angels. A Roman legion, well, hundreds and hundreds. They reckon if it's equivalent of the Roman legions, Jesus could have called down 72,000 angels to guard him in Gethsemane. But he laid it all down. No superman, but fully human. Jesus, who walked on this earth, laughed and cried, and I truly believe had a sense of humor reading his parables. He got tired and exhausted. He was so tired once he fell asleep in the middle of a storm. He got exasperated. With his disciples, O ye of little faith, even to Simon, he had to say, get behind me, Satan. He got angry. Remember when he cleared the temple precincts of those who were just selling things, turning his father's house into a marketplace. He felt alone, reaching out urgently to his friends for support in the garden, He even cried out, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And then he cried out in dereliction from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isaiah here in this passage describes the servant of the Lord. Jesus our Savior, God the Son, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or shown off, but made himself nothing. Isaiah says, who's believed our message? He grew up like a tender shoot, fragile, vulnerable, obscure, like a tender shoot growing out of dry ground. Yes, Jesus, if you trace his family line, if the genealogies you read in the New Testament, he traces his line through royalty, King David, yet he was born in obscurity. A tender shoot that Herod tried to cut off as soon as he was born. He was hunted, fleed for his life with his parents to Egypt. It says in this passage that he was despised, this servant. Well, he grew up in Nazareth. I love Nazareth. I've been there many times. I love it. But it was a despised place. Despised by Judeans from the south because they were just rough northerners. You know what they're like. Despised by Galileans because the people of Nazareth, well, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Even the disciples know that. Despised by the good folk of Nazareth because he was conceived out of wedlock. And there were all sorts of rumors about Mary. And he was an unmarried 30-something, which would have made him really odd in his own culture. 
Isaiah says he had no beauty or majesty to attract him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. No one would have taken a second look. He did not come to show off. He came to show the way. He came to save. And as he grew up, And embarked on that public ministry, he was despised and rejected, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. People thought he was scum, is Eugene Peterson's translation. And that speaks of the cross. The arrest and torture of Jesus, disfigured beyond recognition. Physical pain and the suffering, the flogging and the beating until he was unrecognizable. Crucified naked. Shameful. And Jesus did all that. Laid aside his majesty, gave up everything for us. Why? Because he loves you. Is there no other way? Because of his great love for us. Not that we love God, but he loved us and gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins because that was the ransom price for us he came in abject weakness to teach us the way to be filled and the way to be filled is to be emptied The way to be made beautiful by God is to surrender. I'm so glad Zach picked that song tonight. We trust in you, Lord. Make something beautiful out of me. We would all want a triumphant life, but the way of Christ is not that way. We will have that. We will have that. When we are received into the new heaven and new earth, And we will receive those new bodies. And we will be like Jesus. But for this life, to follow Jesus is to appear weak. And to be humble. And sometimes to be broken. God says, I choose the foolish things to shame the wise. I choose the weak things to shame the strong. And I'm so glad he does. The lowly things, the despised things. Because like you, probably, I have nothing to boast about. Except my saviour. I'm in awe that this prophet 700 years before Jesus saw all that. That God would reveal that 
to his servant, the prophet, to prepare the people when Jesus came. God looks for a people who recognize his son, who admit their weakness, admit their sinfulness, so he can make something beautiful out of them. Hebrews, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. As we come in our weakness to God, as we come admitting our brokenness, he clothes us with forgiveness. He clothes us with healing. He clothes us with hope for what is yet to be. God opposes the proud and the arrogant, but gives grace to the humble. And his power is made perfect in weakness. So at the beginning of this song, he describes Jesus. And next week we'll go on to think about what actually happened on the cross as this description moves on. But for us tonight, it's just to stand in awe. I've been a follower of Jesus over 30 years. And just this week, because I've had to, I've been looking at this passage and rereading it and rereading it and rereading it. And I've got lower and lower and lower, just thinking, thank you, God. You are amazing. And who am I that you would love me so much? Forgive me for making me the center of this world when it's all about you. So as we fix our eyes on Jesus tonight, our beautiful Savior, not beautiful in the way the world thinks, but beautiful in who he is, He is our God, the servant king. Let's pray together.